that came time to do that video right there you just saw, our team, that's what was happening right then. I mean, they could have picked any week of the year and found things that we do, reaching into our world, sharing faith, doing good things for people, what we're about, and we want to share that with you a little bit today. And I want to ask you a question around the Be Rich theme, and that is we've been trying to qualify what it is to be rich, what that really means and what it doesn't mean to be rich, especially around the verses you heard read today, and I'm going to say a few more about these words here in a minute or so. Uh, let me ask you a question. Who is the richest person who ever lived? Is it Bill Gates? Billions and billions of dollars uh, he, has, uh, he has. Is it uh, Warren Buffett? Is that who it is? We have to go back a ways to uh, Andrew Carnegie or, or Rockefeller, who in reality were richer than anybody today because they had so much, such a large percentage of the world's wealth that they owned. Is it uh, Caesar Augustus? the Caesar and leader of the Roman Empire when Jesus was born? Are any of those the richest people who ever lived? The claim that we are making in the Bree Rich campaign is Jesus is the richest person who ever lived. We're defining life in that unique, special, clear way the Bible teaches and how we connect with that. And how you answer that will tell you a lot about who you are where you are in your own spiritual life, and as I answer it myself. Do I really believe that Jesus was richer than Bill Gates? Do I want his life over the life that Rockefeller lived? Is that my choice? Or would I rather be, rather be with Jesus in the stable, a shepherd there, seeing the, risen, the, the Lord who would die and rise from my sins, or would I rather be there in the palace of, of Caesar Augustus who ruled the Roman Empire? think of ourselves that way. And I want to give kind of a framework for us this morning to understand this series. And that is how we respond to what we are learning about life and faith and truth and being rich and being wealthy. About putting up a framework for ourselves. And I'm going to show you a picture to begin with. There's a picture of, uh, this is a Habitat for Humanity home. Our church has been involved with that for a long time. In fact, this, this summer, we, uh, this, this fall and summer, we got to work with uh, Habitat Bill for, with Jimmy Carter, the former president. Uh, we didn't work actually uh, on the house that he was doing, but we were just down the road from where he was in that same general area. And we got to meet Jimmy Carter and Rosalind Carter, uh, who were there eating with us. That was enjoyable to, to meet them in this, this way. When you come to build one of these houses, and I'm not a builder, I'm not a construction guy, I'm not very good at any of that, but I can do my little bitty part that I'm supposed to do. And when you go out there, the first thing you see is a concrete slab, and that's all that's there, and that's already in place. And then, then there is a trailer that's full of walls and trusses, and the walls are the first thing you put up. And you go out there and you pick those walls out. You drag them to where they're supposed to be on the, on the slab. You see where the number matches the numbers. You see where it's already marked out with a red mark, exactly where the wall is supposed to be. And you do what you just saw. You put that wall up and you nail it down as instructions are being given to you by the professionals who are there help you do this properly. And that's how it works. And you keep doing that till all the walls are up and then the house begins to be built. And here's what happens. I'll show you the next picture. A family moves in. When they move in, you see the sign there, welcome home. The keys are given, and they're going to live in that house, and they're going to raise their family there. 
there are going to be Thanksgiving in that home with the turkey and the dressing. You know, there's going to be a special days of birthday parties. There's going to be times of sitting around the TV watching a football game. There's going to be people coming over and visit. Oh, there's going to be Christmas. The tree's going to go up, and they're going to have a great time within the walls that are built firmly, securely, and as instructed. And their life is lit. And if you didn't know that, they actually pay for the house. No interest loans are given. They pay for the house. It becomes theirs lock, stock, and barrel one day. That's exactly how the Christian life is to be lived, what the Be Rich campaign is about. We have a foundation that God gives us, and that foundation is already laid, and the Bible says that clearly, and that's Jesus Christ. And Jesus is our Savior and Lord. It's already there for us. We simply believe and accept and stand upon the rock that God is for us in Christ, crucified and raised from the dead. And how special is that? Jesus, forgive my sins, come into my heart, I belong to you. All those things that we say so often in worship in all kinds of ways, from the Lord's Prayer to songs we sing, to prayers we pray, to words that we read. And then we are called upon to do something about that, and that is to build the walls. The foundation is Christ. The walls are this. Jesus told a parable, it's a beautiful parable, you've probably heard it, where he said there's two ways really to build a house. You can build it upon sand. If you do that, uh, when the wind and rain and floods come, it washes it away. Or you build those walls upon a rock, and there you build them right according to instructions when the wind and the water and the floods come, it stands firm and secure. Then he told us what it is to actually build on a rock. You know what he said? He said, doing what I tell you. His words were, by doing the things that I command you to do. That's building your house on a rock, firm and secure in the right way. So a key part of the Be Rich campaign is the rock that is Christ and our obedience to Jesus Christ. The Bible says again and again and again that he is Jesus Christ he is Lord and Savior. He's both. He's the Savior of our soul. And the Lord, we say we're going to follow and live by what he teaches us. We often don't do the latter. We love getting saved part. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Wash me of my sins. Take me to heaven when I die. We're not so sure about being obedient to his teaching, which requires sacrifice, unless we believe what he's teaching is right. We had to believe these people know what they're talking about when they say, put the, put the wall there. Nail it there. And as you add the other walls, eventually you'll see a house form. The roof goes up and people move in. God gives us a place to live and enjoy and grow our life. And there's a way to do that. As a young Christian, some know the story, some don't. But as a young Christian, I became a Christian at 20. Grew up in the church, but really didn't have a relationship with Christ until I was 20 years old. Uh, stationed at Georgia in the Navy at the time. And I wasn't sure what to do at first. I gave my heart to Christ, and, and he accepted my heart and changed my life. Now what do I do? So I began forming and shaping as I knew how to be obedient to God, the walls in which my life would grow. Forty-one years ago, those walls began going up in a very firm, secure, uh, obedient way. One of the first things I did was I began to pray. I didn't know how to pray. I'd never prayed before. I had the Lord's Prayer in church, but it's never personal to me. But I began to pray, and it changed how I prayed. My prayer were things like in the beginning, Jesus, help me, save me, forgive me. I need your help. I don't know what to do. Those are the kind of prayers I prayed to begin with. It's often how prayers began, but I began to pray, and I've prayed ever since. 
I picked the Bible up. I had a green living Bible that my mom and dad gave me in 1971 when I got out of high school and headed off in the military. I never read it. I had it, but I didn't read it. I don't know why I just didn't. And I began to read that book and open it up. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans, uh, Galatians, Isaiah, Revelation. And I've been reading the Bible ever since. One of the walls that went up, along with prayer. And I knew I should go to church. I don't know why I knew that. I just knew I should. Maybe it's because my mom and dad took me, and I figured out that's what you do next. So I should go to church. I asked a friend, and I said, where do you go to church? Because he's the only Christian I knew. We had 300 uh, men and women in the squadron that I was attached to. And there were probably more Christians in there than I knew of, but only one I knew for sure. The rest, I was pretty sure, weren't Christians because I could tell by how they were living. This guy, he was a Christian, and so I picked him. Where do you go to church? He said, I go to a little tiny church named Bethel Assembly of God. I had no clue what that meant. But he was a Christian. I'm go with you. So I went with him to church, and there craziness ensued. I'd never been in a church like that, wild and crazy kind of worship, everybody praying all together, singing out loud. And I went to Sunday school there, and there in Sunday school, when it came time, they said, we want to see what kind of talents you all have so you can serve God in our church. And they had us each one sing as we went around a circle together. Now, I've been listening to Moody Blues and Uriah Heep uh, and Black Sabbath. Uh, and so this was new to me. And I wait for my turn thinking, where have I got myself into? But I knew somehow I had to do this. This is part of church. It's what you do. Okay, I'll do it. And so I sang the only song I knew that I thought was appropriate. And that was, Jesus loves me, this I know. And I was in the choir the next week. <laughs> True story. True story. And then I realized in that same wall-building time of my life, it was so important for me, you're also supposed to be holy. Heard that word a lot in church. Holy. There are things you don't do, things you do do. And I began to associate my life around those parameters of the don't do's and the do's in my own journey. And the last thing that I really got a grip on was about six weeks into that young journey, and that was giving to the church. I gave the first week what I had in my pocket, but I began to realize as I was hearing messages, reading the Bible, there's more expected, and I began to tithe. But very, absolutely, very clearly the first time I did that, uh, and I realized, and I figured it up in my head. It wasn't hard to do. I made $400 a month uh, there in my military paycheck. So I pulled two, two $20 bills out of my pocket, put them in the offering plate, uh, and been tithing ever since. You know, give or take a dollar for now 41 years. Now, Rod and I have been tithing for uh, be 40 years. We got, I got married a year later after I uh, came to Christ. But here in all that, I'm simply telling you of something you may or may not have heard about. Some have heard this story before. Those walls, each one went up as the Bible gave me instruction, as God taught me, as I learned from the church. And those walls went into place. And from there, I've lived my life. There my faith has grown. Uh, there I've received blessings and given blessings. There I have matured in my faith. Though it's all grown up in those secure walls, on the solid foundation is Jesus Christ. The Be Rich campaign is telling us something like that. As we understand what being wealthy is and want that that God teaches, lay the foundation upon Christ by our faith in Him and accepting Him as our Savior and building a lot of those walls in place, God promises life will grow well within that structure of your journey as a disciple of mine. It's really as simple as that. We're going to go beyond that today with the message title itself, How to Be Rich. Uh, the recurrent theme in the series, it's not what you have, it's what you do with what you have. 
And do you believe Jesus is the richest person who ever lived? I do. And that transforms us. And the first words in the first verse read today, and I'm going to read for you again. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. That's where it starts. And the premise has been in this series that all of us are rich. There are several reasons I know that that's true. Uh, one reason is that Rhonda and I went to Sam's yesterday. We went together. We sometimes do that on my day off and may go to a grocery store or something like that and went to Sam's. And uh, we needed for sure aspirin and oatmeal. I ate lots of oatmeal, so we buy it in large quantities. So we go there to the store to buy aspirin and oatmeal. And Christmas music was playing, by the way, which I like. I'm okay with that. You know, the cool weather, Christmas music, I enjoyed it. In fact, we get some places we couldn't hear it. I say, why is it louder we can't hear it all over the store? So I complained a little bit about that. But it, it, we spent, I spent $180 <laughs> at Sam's. Uh, you know, I know that I'm rich. You know, well, there, there's a whole, 20 pairs of socks for $9? I mean, you can't beat that, you know, uh, I need a new jacket that's waterproof. There's one right there. It's only $29. You know, I'm the spontaneous guy. Rhonda, my wife, is not. She's much more clear on what she wants. She'll cook. She wants three things. She'll come back with three things. Uh, I want one thing. I don't know what's going to happen. So it's better if I'm not there. You know, but that's how that works. I won't tell you the rest of the things we bought, but we bought lots of stuff. We'll be eating for a while. Uh, but nonetheless, I know I'm rich. Now, here's a second thing you may or may not know. In America, the average American family spends 15% of their monthly income on food. 15% is the average American family. The only country in the world that's that way. Europeans will spend 20-25% of their uh, monthly income on food. Third world countries, two-thirds to three-fourths to all of it on food. Uh, in this country, we spend a very small amount. We have, and if survival is food in my stomach, uh, then we go far beyond survival in our culture with the excess income that we have. If we understand the definition of what is it to be really rich, what does it mean? It's in the 30s of thousands of dollars uh, that if we make that much money, we're in the top 4% of income earners in the world. 48,000, we're in the top 1% of income earners in the world. So I'm telling you all that so you'll agree with me that not only are we rich because we are Christians, but we are rich because we have lots of stuff. Even if it seems like a little bit to us, in the context of the world, it is not. We understand that these verses are to me. They're not to someone else. They're to all of us. Instruct those who are rich, everybody here, not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but live a life that God can bless. And I add that. Live a life that God can bless. And I'm going to make a statement that I believe. God cannot bless a selfish life. He can't bless a self-centered life. It's a bottomless hole that cannot be filled up. There's never enough. We always want more. We, always, we can never be satisfied, never made happy, never appeased, never have enough. Our appetites can never be assuaged. It can never happen for us. That kind of life, I believe, and I think the Bible teaches it too, is unbelievable.
unblessable. Not a word, but it's unblessable. And in many ways, in many ways, ties the hands of God. Think about those walls of prayer and the Bible and, and the church and giving and how it allows life to grow the way God wants it to be and we can enjoy this life and, and be happy in this life, make a difference in this life and look forward, look forward to the life that's going to come. We see, I see our Savior, Jesus Christ, face to face. That leads to the second verse, the same passage. Rely on God instead, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. He gives us what we have to enjoy, whether we enjoy giving it. That's a real test when you enjoy giving. Uh, God loves a cheerful giver, the Bible says. And we enjoy also how we use it in life. Both are equally part of the journey of living and developing and growing and maturing within those walls God gives us to grow in and, be, and live the life he calls us to live in. This year, uh, Rhonda and I are going to be having two Thanksgivings. We may have done it before. I can't remember doing it that way. And we're going to go with our, our daughter and her family down in the Beaumont area, enjoy Thanksgiving with, with that family down there. And we will probably eat while we were there. I'm assuming we will. I'm guessing there'll be some food on the table. We've not been promised that, but I'm assuming that's going to happen when we are there. I assume we're going to eat too much. I assume there's going to be too many desserts. I assume there will be, hear me now, I assume there will be an overabundance. We will not run out. I'm not worried about that happening at Thanksgiving down there with our family and extended families down the Beaumont area. Then we're going to come back here and have family and have Thanksgiving with our, our son, his wife, and their two boys. And again, I already know we're going to be fine. We bought two turkeys. Now, why we buy two turkeys? Well, we went to buy one. And I went to buy the turkeys, because Rhonda was buying something, I bought the first turkey, and over here, 48 cents a pound, you know, so I thought, I'll toss another turkey in there, you know, so we have two turkeys, plenty of turkeys for us, I know that, now we'll add to that as you probably will, things like this, uh, we're going to add a, a dressing and stuffing and gravy, we have two kinds of stuffing and, and dressing, uh, we're going to have mashed potatoes, green bean casserole, I don't know why, we always have green bean casserole, I don't really eat that, but it's there. You've got mashed potatoes. Why would you eat green beans? We have green beans there. Uh, rolls, pumpkin pie, and who knows what else. And once again, an overabundance. God gives us all good things to enjoy. It's about the balance. The generous life is lived where, thank you, God, for this plate of mashed potatoes and dressing. And turkey on the side and, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make you hungry if I keep on with that. But thank you, God, that I'm able to be generous with my church. I'm able to tithe month by month by month for 41 years, or for you, maybe one time, maybe even longer than we have. But certainly what's coming next down the road as the walls go up, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pick that book up more than I do. I'm going to go to church. I'm not going to let it slip away like I may have or have a tendency to. I'm not going to keep doing the things that I know are, are wrecking the house that I want to live my life within where we can share and celebrate and enjoy the life God gives us and serve him well. And unless I'm going to tithe. That's the balance for all of it. I'm going to live a rich life. I'm going to be wealthy. I'm going to believe that Jesus is the wealthiest, the richest man who ever lived, and he's the one I've chosen to follow. I'm not chosen to follow Bill Gates or Caesar Augustus. We've chosen to follow Jesus Christ. All good things to enjoy. 
Philippians tells us, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Thanksgiving is all good. Christmas is all good. And being generous is all good. The third verse of this same passage. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. In the Habitat build, one of the unique things, they say if you work for Jimmy Carter on, on his build or his house, which we did not, he's a few houses from us. We met him. We saw him often, he and Rosalind, but we weren't at his build. They prepared us for what it's going to be like. They say if you work with Jimmy Carter, work. He won't let you be lazy. Uh, he will make you work. He'll make you do it right. He wants the house to turn out just right for that family. He does not want them not to have the best house laid out the best way with the strongest walls done correctly, the strongest roof with no leaks. He wants to do it right. He'll make sure you do it right. And so you follow the instructions. And we all do that with those who are guiding us, making sure it's exactly the way it should be, and they're always checking, making sure that wall is exactly within the lines that have been drawn there on that slab. Always attaching just right with the right way of putting the nails in. You do it, but they make sure you're doing it right. And I believe that God gives us clear instructions of how we build our lives upon the rock that is his son, Jesus Christ. And we decide whether we are accountable to that or not. If you're not willing to work in the habitat frame of reference, which is do what the boss guy tells you to do, uh, then you can't do habitat anymore. You'll say, I will follow the rules. I will do it the way they tell me to do it. I will handle it right. You can't use this. You have to use that. There's the tools you have to use. It's the way they do it. You follow the rules. I believe that when we accept accountability to God, that is one of God's great gifts to us. I'm going to show you how to live your life in a way that brings great enjoyment, great meaning and purpose and value, where you'll make a great difference. When I see you face to face one day, I'll be able to say, well done, that good and faithful servant. Enter thou to the joy of the Lord. That's what I'll have for you. That kind of accountability where we say, God's the authority in my life. I believe when he tells me to do something, he has my best interest at heart. He wants where I live to be a beautiful place and a good place and a holy place and a place of being able to bless and experience blessings where I walk with peace and happiness and enjoyment and abundance, all the things God wants for those who follow him and who accept him. And that's the third verse of the same passage. Now the fourth verse. Storing up for themselves treasures of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Storing up for themselves treasures for the future that they don't even know about yet. Think about that. And when the wall goes up, there's a promise. There's a treasure coming you don't even know about yet. You haven't seen yet, you don't know what it's going to look like or be like, but it's coming for you. And I think back to 41 years ago, uh, the walls began going and we had nothing. There were treasures ahead I had no clue were coming. Blessings coming I had no idea. I didn't even imagine would exist for my family and I that have come. Nine grandkids, nine grandkids not being the least of those treasures. Each one given to us. We didn't think about those when we got married. Of course you don't. They were part of the treasure that came in our life, in my family. We appreciate that uh, all the time. 
to be able to have a grandchild going to move in with us when she goes to her first year of college and have a room for her. You stay right here. This is your room. We're already figuring out how it's going to work. Move things around to get it ready for her that she'll be able to be there with us and, and enjoy living with us. And that's with her while she goes to her first year of college here in our area. Live far away and then come up here. And very convenient for them and for us. We like that idea of what's coming, those treasures that come in our life. Uh, my brother and I, who are both Methodist pastors, uh, we started in very small country churches uh, close, close by one another. Uh, I was in a small church in Brown County. He was in a small church in Coleman County. We started, we dreamed that one day we'd serve a church with 200 people in it. One day we'd serve a church that might be in, in it might be First Methodist Brownwood or, or maybe, maybe even Ennis. One day, we thought one day, and those are great churches, but we never imagined where we are. He's a pastor of First Methodist Waco. There are treasures beyond what we imagined that were there. We had no idea. They're coming. The walls had to go up first. Hear me now. The walls had to go up first before the roof, before the family could move in, before life could be lived well and full with meaning and value in one's life, and God's promises could be kept by God for those who live a life that God can bless. And in doing so, experiencing what the Bible says here is life that is life indeed, real life that really matters. The be rich life, the wealthy life, the life that Jesus teaches uh, that it's valuable, the life that does good, that's generous and ready to share that kind of life where great abundance is experienced. We submit to Jesus as Lord. And the final thought that I have, I'll pull everything together, hope for you as it does for me. In a very egocentric world, our world is very selfish, very self-centered. We think the world exists to make us happy sometimes. It doesn't. We're being asked to live in a Christ-centric way, where Jesus now is the center of my life. I want to be obedient to his commands to me. I want to accept that foundation that's the rock of my Savior, who gave his life on the cross to save me from my sins, and live there upon that rock and have it go up. And that's where I want to live. And that's where... Life is true life, it's real life, the good life can be experienced and lived in the balance of enjoying all that God gives me and the balance of being generous also with what God gives me. Submitting to the authority of God as a way to peace and a journey to the good life. Simple truth, hope you're blessed by it. Will you pray with me once again? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Be Rich series. The book Andy Stanley wrote it teaches us so many things. The Bible and its good words, times we gather in worship and music and celebration, it's been a good place to be God during this season. If you struggle with these words, Lord, may you teach us what we need to know. I know there are those here, God, who have never put a wall up and their life is just kind of haphazard and they experience loss and hurt and pain and a mess because of that. Others here, Lord, only have a couple of the walls up, and in doing so, Lord, they, they sometimes wonder why their life is not as full as it could be, or why same seem to be missing, or why they're not being able to grow and mature in their faith like they want to. We're in all kind of categories. And some of us, Lord, put the walls up, and then we kind of got away from it, and the walls have kind of fallen down, Lord. We've not kept them up where they need to be. Teach us, God, what that, which one that is. Maybe for some of us, it is the, it's the wall of being generous. Don't have it up. We're not paying attention to that wall. Maybe it's just don't pray like we should, or maybe just don't go to church enough. Whatever it is, God, remind us what it is. Help us see and know. May the wall go up today. And may life be lived well that we might truly be rich. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.